For this kind of misconception, you might have heard some sort of illustration like the famous The Blind Men and the Elephant. It's a classic illustration, an old one, The Blind Men and the Elephant. And it's an ancient tale that tries to say that all religions are kind of basically worshipping the same God, but although we might see different aspects of God, we're all worshipping essentially the same God. It says that all religions are kind of like blind men, or blind men walking up to a giant elephant which represents God. And each religion sees a different part of God according to the story, and that's why the religions are a little different. For example, the illustration goes that one blind man might walk up to God, the elephant, and feel the elephant's leg and say, okay, well therefore, God is really sturdy and firm. While another religion might walk up to God, the elephant, and feel the tail of the elephant, and say, okay, well this means I feel the tail, and so God is really malleable and soft. And the point, if you're following up the illustration, is that, okay, each religion is just seeing a different aspect of God, but we're all essentially worshiping the same God. But I bring that up because here this illustration totally breaks down and why it doesn't work. If you notice, that sort of story supposes that God, that the elephant, is just a thing up there, this big thing. And it's up to us to figure him out. What if? What if God, the elephant, speaks? That would change the story completely, wouldn't it? What if, while so many people are depending on their own feelings of what they think God might be like, the living God actually speaks? And he communicates to us and he talks to us and tells us who he really is. Again, that would change everything. God were to speak then we know who he is, not because we felt something about him, but because, because he's told us. That's a drastically different thing. We know he's, he's not Allah, he's not Vishnu, he's not just about escaping suffering like Buddha, he's not just about ethics like Confucius. Instead, we know that he, God, the elephant, if you will, is Yahweh. And all those religions are not worshiping him, and we know that how? Not because we are arrogant and have figured this out. No, because we know that because He has spoken. He's told us that those gods aren't real gods. Instead, He's told us that He's the God of Israel. That He's the only God, the Creator God. And that He came to this earth, that He is Jesus Christ. Amen. And once again, to be clear, we don't know that because we are something special or we have figured this out without Him. No, we know it because He has spoken. Yeah. He's there, and he is not silent. Which brings us to our topic this morning. Our, this is our first sermon in the series, Being Jesus Center Church. And what we're going to see today is foundational to everything else we're going to be talking about in this series. Because in this series, Being Jesus Center Church, clearly the foundational thing is that we are people, therefore, who listen to Jesus, who listen to God. I hope by this point, even in the message, you see why that makes so much sense and why it's foundational. Foundational to our following of Jesus, to our loving Jesus, to our centering on Jesus, is that we're people who listen to him. And he speaks, and we listen to him. But then the question we have is, okay, so God speaks, Jesus speaks, but how do we hear him? How do we listen to God? Where do we listen to Jesus? 
And you, and you probably know the answer I'd be getting at, it's even in the sermon title, but I don't want this question just to be quickly passed by. Because if you're, if you're tracking with us, as you know, there are many people in the world, in fact, the majority of people in the world, would agree with us that God is real and that God speaks. But the question that we, we then have is, okay, well, where does he speak? Where does he say that he speaks? Because if we go down these other routes, like if we become more mystical uh, or something like that, we say, well, God kind of speaks in my head, and I know that's God. Or if we go down other routes of other religions and say, well, God is real, and he speaks, but he speaks in the Quran, or he speaks in the Book of Mormon, and all these other places. And we might agree that God is real and God speaks, but we're going to end up in a totally different area. And the God that we'll be listening to might not actually be the real God. So again, God speaks, but where does he speak? How do we listen to the God who's real and speaking? And the answer, which I want you to see from Jesus himself, our Lord himself this morning, is that God speaks, Jesus speaks in his word. In his word, in the Bible, in the scriptures. This really is, we're digging through this all the way, this really is God's voice. And that's what we'll see in Matthew chapter 4. You heard it read by Steve, and specifically, you probably noticed it's a text about Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And there's much we can focus on in that whole exchange and what's going on, but for the sake of our series and our topic today, we are just going to mainly focus on verse 4. Because what we see in verse 4 is really stunning. Because think about this. Think about what's going on here in this setting in Matthew 4. Jesus is in the wilderness. Right? He's all alone. There's no one else with him besides the devil. There's no one else to help him. The angels come minister to him after the temptation, but he's all alone. And he's being berated by the prince of demons by Satan being tempted. So the question is, how does he respond? One commentator, as I was studying this week, speaking of the temptation here, wrote this. I think it's true and helpful. He said, Quote, in this account of the testing of Jesus, we are given one of the most intimate glimpses into his inner life. I think that's true. This is unique. Think about it. For most of his ministry, most of the Gospels, he's around other people, he's teaching people, other people are watching him. But here, it's just him being tempted. No crowds watching. There's no disciples around that he's trying to teach. Instead, this is just Jesus. Being tempted by the devil. So how does our Lord respond? What is he like in such a moment? What we're going to see from Jesus in such a moment is a robust belief and defense of what we're talking about here this morning. That the Bible is really God's voice. That that's where we're hearing out of God. Amen. Amen. God speaks, and he speaks here. Amen. So it's not letting the rest of our time here this morning. It's helpful for you. We're going to look into Jesus' verse 4 with three major parts. Pretty straightforward. First, we're going to look at his first words. It is written. Second, we're going to look at his phrase at the end of verse 4, from the mouth of God. And then third, we're going to look at what he says in the middle there, the words, by every word. So it is written, from the mouth of God, by every word. And I hope by the end of our time here this morning, is that we'll all have a surprisingly robust view of the Bible and an understanding of where we go to listen to God. So let's begin with the first words in verse 4 from Jesus. Quote, it is written. For refresher though, since it's been a little while, let's read verses 3 and 4 again. So you look down your Bible and read verses 3 and 4. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But he, Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. So the devil's tempting Jesus. Jesus is hungry. The devil's tempting Jesus to make stones, to make stones into bread. But notice how Jesus responds right away. I know we've heard this probably many times before. I could imagine that you're hearing this for the first time. You believe this is the Son of God. And so the question is, okay, how does he respond? And if you think about it, there could have been many ways he could have responded. He could have responded just this is temptation. He could have responded just with a firm no. Right? Sometimes we address temptation like that. We say no. He could have just said that, but he didn't. Or, since he's God, he could have just said to say, with all authority, I, as God, say to you, say no. That would have worked, I'm sure, but he didn't, he didn't do that. Instead, in the face of temptation, he responds to this, this powerful temptation of the devil with the powerful words of God, and he does that by saying, it is written. And this is amazing. In short, in the midst of all this temptation, all alone, Jesus appeals to a book. To a book. It is written. It is written down in a book, written by this man, Moses, a book that we call Deuteronomy. This is from Deuteronomy. It's written down on parchment, on paper. It seems so normal. It's written in a book. It is written. That's how Jesus responds. Amen. And these three words, it is written in the English, are honestly simply just one word in the original Greek. It's one word. It's a word that occurs all throughout the New Testament. It's the word gigraktile. The only reason you need to know that is it's a word that is just the verb for to write, right? The word write. But it's in this tense in the Greek that's called the perfect tense. The only reason I bring that up, it's really helpful to understand why this matters. Because it's a tense, the perfect tense, is something that indicates something that happened in the past but still has continuing effects in the present. And you probably noticed that. Maybe you've always wondered why it's awkward in English with this awkward it is written rather than it was written or it has been written. We translate it that way because the emphasis we're trying to get the full force of this word is something that was written, something that happened in the past, it was written, but something that has continuing effects today. It is still written. It still matters that it is written. I bring that up because that's what Jesus appeals to in this moment. Something that he knows was written by Moses in the past, thousand years ago for him, and yet something that still has such power today. Such power today that it's what he appeals to right away when he's in the force of the midst of such temptation. So that's our first point. It is written. Our Lord, brothers and sisters, appeals to a book. To words written down in a book. And before we move on and consider what else Jesus says in verse 4, I do, I do, help, I do think it's helpful for us just to take a second and let that sink in. I mean, in Bible-believing churches like ours, so many of us, we've heard this so many times before that we take it for granted. It's good for us to take a second and realize how much Jesus focused on a book. A book. The word is written down. And it's not just him doing it here. He does it throughout his whole entire ministry. And again, hypothetically, it didn't need to be this way. Jesus could have showed up and appealed all the time to his own feelings or intuitions. But instead, he all the time, over and over and over, appeals to a book. It is written. To words written down. And so here, here then is the challenge for us. I'm sure most of us in this room 
have Bibles. I'm sure maybe all of us can. If you're here and you don't have one, please take the Bible with you in front of you. We'd love to give that to you. Most of us have Bibles. I'm sure most of us have many Bibles right in our homes. And I'm sure most of us know that we should read them. Amen. But I encourage you to apply what we just saw from Jesus here. See and realize the wonder of what Jesus does here when he appeals to a book. He's saying that the words that are written are not mere human words. Apparently, according to him, they're of ultimate authority. They help in the fight of sin. They bring life. So as strange as this may sound, as you're sitting there right now, I do encourage you to maybe just open your Bible, hope it's still open, and just look at the words on the page. Look, look, look at the page, look at the ink, look at the words. It all can look so normal. Right? It can look so mundane. You see books your whole life. You see the Bible your whole life. But maybe each realize what Jesus teaches us about what is written right here. What's written, it is apparently of ultimate authority. This book, the words written in ink on your page are more precious than anything in the world. And the reason that is is because this leads us now to our second point. The reason is because what is written there is the very words of God. Amen. And that does bring us to our second point. So the Bible's written. You see that it is written. But what is really written there? Right? What is truly written there? Why do we care so much? Why did Jesus care so much about things written in an old book? Well, now look at what he says at the end of verse 4. We'll read the verse again just as a reminder. This is verse 4 again. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. And so here is why Jesus finds the book so important. It's not that there's just some mystery or some magic in this book or anything like that. It's not that we read this book and it just does things like some magical spell. Not at all. Instead, the reason why what is written is so important is because, according to Jesus, what is written is actually from the very mouth of God. Amen. That's stunning. Right? That's, that's, the words here, the words in your Bible that I hope you're still looking at, the words written on the page, written on the page, Jesus says, from the mouth of God. Or to put it more simply, which we've been talking about, if you read this book, the words written on this book, that is God speaking in the presence. Written and speaking in the presence. The word of God. And that word from, that word from there, from the mouth of God, is the word of God, that word from, here's a simple word, right? The word from. And it can also be translated, it might be a little more helpful, it's the same word as out of, from or out of. And that might make it a little clearer to you and I. So what Jesus is saying here from Deuteronomy is that the words written here come from, or they come out of, the mouth of God. And so in other words, if you read what's on the page, the, those words originated in the very mouth of God. That's where they originally come from, ultimately. So yes, Moses wrote Deuteronomy, which Jesus is quoting. Jesus would adhere to that, but also Jesus knows that originally they came from the very mouth of God. Same goes for Matthew 4, which we're reading this morning. Matthew wrote this account. Jesus even spoke these words. But originally, ultimately, these are from the very mouth of God. What is written comes out of the mouth of God. Yes. Which brings us back to even what we've been saying for this whole message. God is real. He speaks. He's there. He's not silent. But I just want to take a second to be crystal, crystal clear. Where does God speak according to Jesus? 
We say we want to be a Jesus-centered church. We say we want to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. We want to love him. We want to trust him. We want to do what he wants of us. So where does God speak according to Jesus in what is written? In what is written? This book is where we find words, quote, from the mouth of God. Yes. Again, God's real. God speaks. And he speaks here. Amen. And this, by the way, this is why Christians for thousands of years, too, have always been such Bible people. And Christians have been such Bible people. And we, we as Christians are Bible people not just because we're people who want to be Bible people, not just because we think it's good and right to read the Bible. No, we're Bible people because we're God people. Yes. We love God. Yes. We're Bible people because we're Jesus people. And it's Jesus who says that this is the word of God. We love God, we love Jesus, and so we love the Bible. This is from the mouth of God. We're God people, and so we automatically love the Bible because this is apparently God's word. Again, as Jesus says, it's from the mouth of God. So, so if we love God, how can we not love what he says? Mm -hmm. Now, as many ways we, we could apply this, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more at the end of our message, just direct application. But it's times like this, perhaps just a simple question could be so revolutionary uh, to our lives. So we've seen that Jesus believes that this is written, and it's the mouth of, from the mouth of God. And we see that other places in the Bible, too, that Jesus believes that. So if you're sitting there and you're listening, just really ask yourself, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? And I encourage you to really think about the question, because it's so easy if we were raised in Christianity, or if you've been going to Bible church for a while, to say you believe that, but to not really believe it deep in your heart. So again, do you really believe that the words that are written on the page here, this book that was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, 66 different books, do you really believe what Jesus taught that these are ultimately the very words of God? Do you believe that? I would encourage you to do. Jesus did. And elsewhere, he says, he says similar things. For example, just to make it clear, Matthew 22, he says to the Jews that what is spoken here, what is written here, is, quote, spoken to you by God. That's what Jesus says, spoken to you by God. He also says in Mark 7, as we've already been talking about, that this is, quote, the word of God. And his apostles, who we sent out, like the Apostle Paul, said that this book is, quote, breathed out by God. This is the foundation of Christian teaching. This is the word of God. And, and let's be honest, it is being attacked more and more today. It is being attacked more and more today, and people try to say things like this is sort of the Word of God. Or even more cleverly, people will say things like, when you read it, it becomes the Word of God to you personally. Or people will say things like, it's God's Word here and there. But Jesus and the Apostles are clear, this book is the voice of God. Is the word of God. This is hearing from God, so do you believe that? If you do, how is believing that changing your life? I pray it is. We'll talk more about that at the end. But that leads us now to consider our uh, last point from what Jesus says in verse 4 here. So it's written, it's from the mouth of God. But then you just said, some people want to say that it's only certain parts that are really God's word, or, or the parts in it that really are only religious that have a lot to do with my Christian life that matter. Notice what Jesus says from the mouth of God in verse 4. We read one last time, verse 4. But he answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So man does not live by bread alone, but by hearing God's voice. But specifically, we live by hearing from every word of God's voice. And as simple as this challenge, this also is quite profound. Every single word matters. And it makes sense if you're following it. It makes sense. I mean, if God really speaks, and he really speaks here, if we really believe, as Jesus taught us, that this is the quote-unquote word of God, who are we? Who are we to say that this part's important, but this part isn't important? I mean, who are we? If this is really God's voice, and Jesus taught us that, to say that this section still applies, but this section no longer applies. Who are we to pick and choose from God's very word? And that's why Jesus says every word in the original language that every has its connotation every single. So it's every single individual word. Each one matters. Why? Because it's very God's voice. God has really spoken here. And think of it this way, God is not wasting his breath. He didn't, he didn't just accidentally speak a lot and, and wish he could take it back. And it's not like when you go through, I hope you do like a Bible reading plan, reading through this book, big book, it's not like God is blabbering and hoping that we can sift through and try to see what's really important. Everything that God decides to speak, God decides to speak. And therefore, it's important. Every word, of course, matters. But not only does every word matter, but also, verse 4, notice every word does something. Every word does something. Notice the two-letter word by. And I know this might seem really, really just detailed, but it's a good example of every word matters. That word by there, you know what the word by means. It means something happens. It's a means of something. And so you can see Jesus' logic. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Okay, we get that man doesn't live by bread alone. So how does man live? What, what gives us sustenance in true life? Man lives by every word of God. Every single word of God does something. And so now we get a full orb picture. You've been following us. A full orb picture of what Jesus is teaching us here in verse 4. Each person doesn't ultimately live and exist and find sustenance just by material things like bread. Instead, we truly live by every single word that comes from God's mouth, and those are things that are written. That's your Bible. That's your Bible. And that's why foundational to a Christianity, to a following and loving of Jesus, to us being a Jesus-centered people, foundational to all that is that we are people who love the Bible, study the Bible, relish the Bible, believe that in every word God speaks. That's what we see here from Matthew 4. As we conclude, I just want to finish with two things. First, I do want to connect this to our series, Being a Jesus Center Church. And then second, I just want to close with one final practical appeal to all of us. So first, connecting it to our series. I hope you've seen, now that we're concluding the message, why this is the first message in our series of Being a Jesus Center Church. The truth about the Bible, not just some tertiary thing, it's foundational for two reasons. First, Jesus believed it. We want to be Jesus-centered, we have to believe what Jesus believed, what he taught us. Jesus believed this is the word of God. But then also second, and just as important, if we want to be a Jesus-centered church, this means that if we want to be focused on Jesus, it means that if we want to listen to Jesus, this is where we go to hear from him. This is where we go to hear from him. To 
We don't take our own thoughts or feelings to be the voice of God. We don't take intuitions or feelings to be God's voice. It's not only risky, because then when it's happening, it's happened in church history over and over, is you just don't know what's really God's voice, and what's my voice, what's really my wishes, what's God's wishes. But more important than that, it's honestly just not how Jesus taught us to live our Christian life. Instead, we take God's written word, understood, applied to us, to be the very word of God that we need. People call this sufficiency of scripture, whatever you want to call it, but this is what we need. God was, intent, was intentional in providing us this book for what we need. It's the written word of God. So this book is from the mouth of our Father. This book is the voice of Jesus. This book is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to close with one final appeal to all of us here. One final appeal, including myself, after hearing what we saw in Matthew 4. And it's says, pretty simple. After hearing, listening to the Bible, after studying what the Bible actually is, after seeing it's God's voice and Jesus' voice, now the appeal is that now we must go and act upon this. We have to. It's that simple. Because we all know it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to go and do something. And the right response to hearing that this is God's voice is not just to go out here and believe that this is God's voice. The goal is to go and hear from God. That's the goal. To read this book. To really study this book. So let's be honest, we all know, myself included, that it's so easy to hear something, a sermon like this, even really believe something to be true. But then amazingly, it's let have a little impact on life. A little impact. I'm sure this is one of just many sermons you have heard on the Bible, so the question we have to end with is, are you really reading it? Are you really reading it? Reading it to hear from Jesus, reading it to hear from your God. Are you going elsewhere for other things? Or are you really reading the Bible? Maybe you are. I hope you are. And praise God if you are. He has done that in you. And keep reading, keep hearing from Jesus. But also, as a new pastor here, I do know statistics that show that less and less even Bible-believing Christians are actually reading the Bible. So if you aren't hearing from Jesus consistently in this book, I plead with you, Jesus support you from Matthew chapter 4 for you to start. And even this afternoon, really start reading the Bible. Maybe start a Bible reading plan. Maybe just decide a book. Maybe the book of Matthew. Maybe what Paul's Epistles. Maybe the Old Testament. Whatever you decide to do, and just start reading through a book of the Bible. Praying before you. God, help you understand it. Maybe you read a paragraph every morning and pray over it. Whatever it takes, get into this book. And again, if you don't have one, or honestly, if you have one, but it's kind of old, or you want a new one, which will encourage you to read your Bible, please, take a new Bible home today. Whatever it takes. Get into the word because as Jesus said, this is God's very word. God really speaks here in every single word. So for the sake of your Christian growth, for the sake of your peace, your joy, your holiness, and for the sake of this church being a Jesus-centered church, let's be people who really take a message like this and go and read our lives. Day in, day out, at home, at work, in the car, listening to the Bible, read, study, listen to, study this book, all because it's true what Jesus said. That God is real, He exists, and He speaks here in every word that is written from the very mouth of God. So 
Brothers and sisters, let's be a people, a Jesus-centered people, who really love and read this book. Father, Son, Spirit, I plead for myself and for everyone in front of us that we be a people, by your grace, who love your word. Help us, Lord, not just to say that. Help us not just to do it out of duty, but Jesus, help us to delight in reading your word, to knowing that you speak to us in your word, to believing that you are not silent, but you speak to us in your word. And of course, Lord, help us not just to hear what you have to say in your word, but of course to trust you more because of what you have to say, to cling to your promises, to trust you, to live lives of love because of what you've done for us, all because of what we hear in your word. And Jesus, I do pray if there's anyone here this morning who made through this message, or just they know that um, maybe they don't really trust you or know you or love you, that Christ, you may even this moment work in their heart. Help them to trust in you, Jesus. Help them to see that you are better than anything the world can offer. And help them to see that your word is precious. Christ, we do want to be a Jesus-centered church. We want to be all about you. Help us do that. We love you. Thank you for your words. In your name we pray. Amen.